0: This is the Ethical Business Podcast. My name is Janet McLaughlin and I am the founder and managing director of a company called Marmion based in Yorkshire. And today's podcast uh, covers a very important topic, resilience and mental health. Um, as we fast approach the 10th of October for World Mental Health Day, the podcast is dedicated to resilience and mental health in business. Developing a resilience in our workforce and promoting positive mental health is now business critical. It's no longer nice to have. And we all know how mental health leads to compromised physical health, which then creates higher levels of absenteeism within our workforce. It affects productivity and ultimately profits, so it makes sense to include this as a potential threat in our planning process. It's a real issue, and it's only going to get bigger if we don't address it. What's surprising, and as someone who is a mental health first aider myself, I did that in 2019, is that whilst it's recommended, it's still not a mandated legal requirement. But um, I think there's plans that will become something that is a legal requirement um, in 23. Let's hope it does. But the purpose of today's podcast is to meet with other founders of businesses business leaders to discuss our responsibility as business leaders to take care of our own mental health because of course for those of us who've been around for a while it was never part of our training it was we were never told oh by the way when you set up a business you are also required to look after your mental health because you're expected to be stronger than everybody else and that's sort of you know any weakness in terms of not being able to cope with stress would be seen as something very negative but what I've seen, I'm, I'm reading a lot more about is the need for business leaders to take care of their mental health. Because if they don't take care of themselves, how can they possibly take care of a, a team of people who rely on them to lead uh, and direct and to, you know, enable them ultimately to pay the mortgage? I suppose it's a bit like a pilot. If you've got a pilot on a plane and he's not so well, I'm not sure I really want to get on that plane, would you? <laughs> but no. So this is this is quite a... It's something that is becoming more prevalent in terms of how we view ourselves as a leader. But unless we do really take positive steps to looking after our mental health and developing that word resilience, business will fail. That's without a doubt, because if we're not invested in it, then, you know, how can it possibly be successful? Today is our large, our largest group within our podcast. I think, Matt? This is, yes. you know, we've had there was three of us the last time. So <laughs> gosh, it's getting bigger. So today, actually, we have sixty-four years collective experience of founding and thereafter managing um, businesses. And I feel sure, without exception, I'm sure the room will tell me that there have been times when they've each asked themselves, "Why am I doing this?" <laughs> I have to say, I have asked myself that on a number of occasions, but I suppose it's being able to create something is probably what motivates me and what 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 my legacy will be at the end of it. So first of all, without further ado, I'd like to make some introductions. I'd like you to meet Kate Hutchinson. Um, Kate is the founder and MD of the Secret Events Service. You established in 2019? 2018. 2018. And I have to say, Kate's secret events are actually really, really good they're really Thank good because <laughs> they're, they're actually meaningful and you mm. meet some very amazing people but I know there's a lot of hard work goes into that especially keeping it secret <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got Alan McLaughlin founder and director of dentistry at Limited Alan, you've been in dentistry since uh, 1989
1: I was. said it's first partnership in 1988 or 89 yes yeah. September 20th of November 89 yeah. and then uh, formed a limited company in 2008 for a different a different dental business yeah very, very different.
0: And Adam Moody, who's been a guest before, <coughs> Adam's the founder and MD of Farm Beyond. You've been doing that since two thousand and five, I see?
2: Yes, and it still feels. I was, when I was writing down how many years it's been it feels very scary because I still feel I'm starting out I still feel I'm learning. <laughs> it's still new, but yeah, I have actually been doing it for seventeen years now.
0: You do it look quite old. a long time. yeah. <laughs> and 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 Zach, Zach, you're the founder and director of Artist Digital Marketing.
3: Hello, yeah, that's me.
0: I remember meeting you when you first set out.
3: Indeed, yeah, it was one of the first networking events I ever attended.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, nice to see your friendly faces there, Matt and Janet.
0: <laughs> oh, that's very sweet. And look at what you've got too, it's amazing. Oh,
3: well, amazing.
0: thank you. Amazing. Thanks for
3: being part of the journey with us.
0: And then, Phil Green, we've never met before, but you're the founder and CEO of Truth Money. I am. I know you, well, you worked in Lloyd, you started your career with Lloyd's, yeah. correct? And then you've been in Money.
4: I had twins. Is the honest answer. Well, not personally. The wife did a bit more of the work on that. That,
0: I did. that would be, I think that would be a completely different podcast if you'd had the Well, we, we
4: maybe should do another one for that. But uh, so we, we shared maternity and paternity leave. So my wife had the ser- first six months off and I had the second six months off. Love that. And not only did I steal part of my wife's maternity leave, but then I decided to tell I wasn't going back to work. So I really had to come up with a better idea of what I was going to do um, yeah. and cut my history as finance. banking that kind of stuff and mortgages specifically that was one of the obvious things
0: to do yeah yeah that was you know I suppose the first question and I'm going to direct it I'm just going to go around the room but I'm going to direct it to Kate first I mean you're a boss you're the boss so your name is above the door yeah were you prepared for that I mean how did you prepare for that being the boss did you prepare
5: well um so just before I set up the secret event service the year before I was the general manager of another organisation. Um, and I was absolutely... I was the worst manager in the world. I was awful, really, really awful at it. Um, treated my... I let my ego take precedence over my ability to manage the team. Um, there's no doubt about it. And I look back on that. And I, I learned from that very, very quickly. Um, so when I set up SES, um, as it's known to us internally... Um, I was very mindful of the fact that I had got it so wrong. I got it so wrong and I'd not managed that team effectively. So I wanted to be the polar opposite of that person and the polar opposite of, I wanted to be more like, more myself, I would say. Mm. But then I think what you do, what you can never be prepared for and what I've never been, I don't think any of us are adequately prepared for is the constant change that we've had in the last four years. So I've been running this business for four years and we were 18 months old when the pandemic hit. So there's just, since that moment, there has been constant change. And I think that's something that you just can't prepare for. And being the person at the front of the business all the time who has to be the steady face outwardly and inwardly so that the team feel confident as well as, you know, potential clients and all the rest of it feel confident that is really hard work having to do that constantly mm. for years with no rest, no period of quiet. And we've all gone through that over the last three mm. years. It's not just SES, it's everybody. Mm. And I think we're all feeling it.
0: And Zach, you, you've got a team behind you. Mm. you. You said earlier that you're in the office 90% on your own.
3: Yeah.
6: You know, yeah. How,
0: how, does, how, does, how did you prepare for being the boss of these people well. who actually were more remote?
3: Interesting question. I mean, to be honest, Janet, I never actually set out to have a business. That's the interesting thing. Yeah. My ambition when I started in business was to create myself a full time job, really. Uh, But I had previously been a manager, uh, like Kate. Um, I'd been a manager in in hospitality. So, used to working with people in that capacity. But I, I suppose i had the vision of you know carrying the business forward and seeing how far i could take it so developing a team around me after my first year that that was a a new experience Mm. what i would say is that i was prepared to work very hard but perhaps i wasn't prepared for the the roller coaster that is business And, and as kate's described you know the the two years that that we've had who could have prepared anyone for that and also i think that sense of you know i I set out with um real ambition and and um, and confidence in my abilities i i created my business because of it it was something that i loved to do but equally nothing prepares you for the imposter syndrome which you can have
0: yeah it's quite Um, interesting i mean you hear a lot about imposter syndrome mm. I think that's something we can talk more about as we go on because it's a really, it's a, very really, real it's a thing. big, it's a big thing, and I think that has an impact on resilience and mm. mental health and absolutely like right. So yeah, so it's a good point.
6: Well, only just last yeah. week yeah. when we were at Kate's event, you know, your guest speaker was talking, and the, the main topic was imposter syndrome. Mm. Me and Janet yeah. had a really interesting conversation the next day about it mm. because. I think a lot of businesses think they have imposter syndrome, or people think they've got imposter syndrome. But it's, I guess, the way you view it and how you handle it and Mm. deal with it within your business. So Mm. I think we should definitely talk about that as we as we go through this today.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Alan, you're you came from university, went into dentistry, and you were an associate. So you were really self-employed. Yeah. Uh huh. Moving from being self-employed and only responsible for yourself, and obviously the patients in your care how how did that how did suddenly owning a practice and being responsible how did how prepared were you for that we
1: were just talking a nurse asked me today how long after i graduated did i buy uh, get our first practice it was less than four years and now it's much much longer than that because in those days like 1989 it was just a a follow-on from doing being a normal dentist because there was so little administrative bureaucracy. There was very little. You, your receptionist was your practice manager. There were no hoops to jump through like nowadays. Now you've got so many more staff and so many more roles. We've got filing cabinets full of policies. Mm-hmm. Before it was just one desk and it was, it was there was no big deal and I certainly wasn't prepared for it because I don't think there was much preparation required. It was just doing the, the, the wages and that was about it really. As far as the rest of it, there wasn't much but when we set up the larger practice, became a limited company, we had to have all the the stakeholders involved. You know, with quantities surveyors, accountants, bank managers, all those had to be lined up. NHS uh, and and the NHS commissioners. There was uh, it was a different picture, and today's practice is different to the one 30 years ago. Mm. 30 years ago, it was a, you just went in, did your work, went home, and that was almost all there was to it. Mm. And yeah. now it's uh, it would be very hard to be the lead clinician and the manager of multiple surgeries, mm. all in one, it, it'd be almost impossible to do because mm. there's too too many too many roles.
0: What about you, Adam?
1: I kind of
2: fell into running and owning my own business, but similar to Zach you know, and uh, and Kate worked as a manager, as a marketing manager in, in the leisure industry, and gradually, as time went on, I was picking up bits of work to the point where I suddenly felt, well, what am I going to do next? well this is it so mm. gradually took on new clients and then um started the business mm. and then have kind of gradually grown year after year but I think similar to what you know again Kate and Zach were saying, the last four years i mean I'm still starting to pick up things from two thousand nineteen and going oh yeah i was I was doing that, mm-hmm. and everything's kind of been put on hold and you've been adapting and adjusting and facing new challenges and uh, you know in every aspect of the business. Mm-hmm. I would say quite you know comfortably it's been the most challenging four years in my seventeen years of of doing this you know across the board so you know, if you've managed to get through this bit, then uh, it is it is disproportionately difficult, I would say, you know, similar to you, Phil, you, know, you kind of just started going and then, you know, everything changed again.
0: I mean, yeah, Phil, because, you, yeah, you started, you know, as I say, around about the same time and, and everything kind of went, whew, mm. you know, how was, what was your, I mean, did you, did you consciously think, I'm going to be the boss of this business, I'm going to lead people, or what did you just do? What, what made you do it? What What made you decide to set up your own business?
4: Yeah, I mean I w- I was definitely clear about my skill set. Yeah. From my track record in the bank. Mm. So I was a senior leader in the bank. Last job was head of telephone banking for the group, 1500 people working for me. Mm. And at that level, you know, there's a lot of hierarchy, ego and politics. Yeah. yeah. But but, you know, big people leadership role. Yeah. So that was that was my staple. That was what that was my yeah. MO. And yeah. then coming into a tiny business where, you know, the printer runs out of Inc. yeah historically you know I was just completely devoid of any knowledge of that and, and suddenly you know you've got keys and stuff stuff to do yeah. so actually some of my skill sets weren't transferable at all yeah and not only that I mean you can get quite institutionalized in banks anyway mm-hmm. big, certainly big businesses yeah but the bit that I found and to this day I still find one of the hardest bits is you're so protected in big businesses you've you've really no concept really, until it's gone, that bubble. Even to, and my wife and I debate, stroke, disagree on this often, which is when you, when you work for a big organisation, you never even think about, it never crosses your mind about the paycheck not turning up. You yeah. don't even think of the concept of money. You know, in the works of the bank, you never saw any pounds or pence. Yeah. Yeah. And then once you've seen the bank account, when you're on the other side of the fence, and you see money coming in and going out, you can't unsee that. Yeah. and so that that feeling of it's very fragile
0: it's quite you feel quite vulnerable don't you and then COVID, yeah you know,
4: which was an event that nobody could foresee or no. or really predict you know the concept of furlough and you know it was a word that nobody even knew what that meant yeah. 24 hours before the, the chancellor announced it so that just ex- exacerbates that feeling of yeah. god stuff is really fragile and I'd never had that before. I you know, I'd had sixteen years there in a growing career mm. and I mean you've got a family and you think, God, I've I've backed a horse here
0: Yeah. Yeah. I
4: remember my, we doing
2: kind of year orbits and plans and, and talking to business coaches and, and that kind of thing. And everyone was saying, you know, you need to make sure you've got, uh, you know, a six months worth of salary in the bank and that kind of thing. And I always said, there is no <laughs> scenario whatsoever where I'll be in a position where we have no business coming through the door, you know, yeah. because in my, in any scenario, that was not an option. And then COVID happened. And then suddenly yeah. we just, every single, you know, project was put on hold, paused, cancelled and... You know, and then you are facing the position where you are going, how is this going to be? You know, those first, you know, when uh, the team, you know, remember when I was sat outside and we were kind of getting the news through and watch, you know, um, Gavin said to me, it was the first time he's ever seen me look worried because, you know, you're thinking, how am I, how is this going to play out? And I have such a responsibility to the team and you know, worrying about their salary. It's not just about yourself, it's about them. How can you look after them and that responsibility you have to your team?
0: And I think that's the thing that unless you have your own business, unless you've taken the risk and you understand that, you know, a week before payday, you look at your bank account and go, oh, please God, let them pay their bills so that I can pay everybody's wages. And it never changes in the almost seven years I've run Marmion it doesn't matter. You still think, even even when you know it's coming, you know you've got a pipeline, all that sort of thing, you still think, I've got to make sure that these people get paid so that, and then I can have what's left. Yeah. yeah, And that's the reality, isn't it? It's a huge responsibility, which always makes me smile when I see people who come in to give advice who've never done what we've done. You know, it's quite interesting. Oh, that's not to say that they don't add value, because they do, but to really... That butt-clenching moment when you think
5: "Ooh, what's happening we went yeah. six months with no income yeah. From Covid. So we like were an events agency. It became quite literally illegal to do what we were doing. Yeah. And we we lost all our clients immediately. Yeah. We went six months with no income whatsoever, and I and we we didn't qualify for any government support other than being able to put one member of staff on furlough and being able to get a small bounce back loan because we were only eighteen yeah. months old and I didn't have the accounts to be able yes. to get the support from the government. And I was looking at the looking at my cash flow and thinking I'm bankrupt by Christmas mm-hmm. and I'm not even thirty. What, what am I going to do? Mm. You know? I had a
4: similar moment to that with my accountant. My accountant's an oldish guy, a friend of my dad's who go way back and that's why I chose him. And we were going through the first set of accounts and he talked about this, this sentence that I can't get out of my head, which is, at that particular point, Phil, you were operating insolvent because you couldn't do X, Y, or Z. The truth is, Oftentimes businesses operate insolvent at one particular time it doesn't mean they are insolvent fundamentally, but the, 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 when he said that sentence to me, it, it had a massive impact on, on my level of confidence around mm. you know just how much, how much responsibility accountability is on my shoulders and what damage I was potentially doing. you know on one hand, being positive about being an employer, you can spin as a really nice good thing, mm. but it can very quickly become you know a, ch- a poison chalice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and COVID brought that front and centre.
0: And that leads me to the next question, I suppose. In that crisis of confidence, mm. what did you do to bring yourself out of that state, that 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 period of, you know, absolute vulnerability? You think, oh, my gosh, it's, I've lost it all. What did you do? How did you manage to get through that?
4: The, the truth is I'm terrible at it, right? Mm. So I, I'm very, very fortunate. I have a brilliant wife.
0: Mm.
4: And she's really good at at saying... In a certain way, that the sun will rise tomorrow, Mm -hmm. yeah. And that feeling of catastrophe, whilst Mm -hmm. is extremely real. Mm
5: -hmm.
4: If the worst happens and your business goes, and you have to tell people that they're out of a job, and you've got to ring up the bank and whatever, the sun will rise tomorrow, and and there will be a day to do something.
0: Yeah a
1: very nice way what about you sorry, go sorry. Sorry. yeah I lie awake at night ruminating over the all the potential issues that can go wrong which is totally fruitless and of no consequence uh, whatever my worries are the, the consequences are going to happen anyway so worrying about them is is a utter waste of time. So I've stopped that mm-hmm. since. How did you since so,
0: how did you stop doing that? What what did you it? do to help yourself I to stop I think
1: just, just well, I had quite severe COVID, quite seriously, and it and it, uh, it uh, sort of impacts on your, your your thoughts of of humanity and life, and think actually there are worse things that can happen. The sun will rise tomorrow is an expression I was brought up with, mm-hmm. and saying look, no matter how much you worry, it's still going to happen or not happen anyway, and the worst you're not going to die. Really, and that's that's it, you know. But so yet,
0: when you had COVID, actually, there was a real risk you were well, going die. to
4: die. And every day I woke up and I thought, I'm alive again. That's great. It's good Matt, above ground. Is, a you know, of she said, you know, <laughs> "What's the worst that can happen?" And I did, did the usual. What was prominent to me? So, we will run out of money, or this, that, and the other. And she said, "But what about you? Haven't mentioned your kids? What if your kid? What if Maggie or William got run over? Yeah. Why isn't that top?" Yeah. And that freaked me out. that yeah. like, My priority list was that was inverted. Yeah. And it, but I have. Uh, felt for an increasing length of time that it kind of feels like in order to be successful in business you almost have to be a bit of a sociopath right because if you take things too personally which mm. I do mm. and I I try and be the best I can for people you're on a hide into nothing there and I read a book which I'm going to use a bad language now. I don't think that's so well out or not but the book is called something like The Life-Turning Magic of Not Giving a Fuck right yeah and that's my way of, of getting through it. That At some point, I just have to stop giving a fuck.
5: A bit. Yeah, yeah. It's all right, only adults listen to this, okay. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the thing, though, isn't it? Because we have this really, um, we have this saying internally, which is, Sort of, They all cringe, but I love it, um, which is we're just really nice people who do really nice things for other really nice people. Mm. All of that remains true, but I've had to make some really tough decisions this mm. year, and some of those decisions are not necessarily very favourable to mm. my staff. Mm. Like, for instance, next year we're banning unpaid leave because this year unpaid leave has had a massive effect on our business, and I, I don't want it to have the same effect on our business next year. Now, actually, that's a difficult pill for some of my staff to take, But there's a reality, which is that sometimes I'm a little bit too kind. Mm. And actually, I want to keep them in a job. And if I'm too kind too often, then their job becomes at risk, actually. So I'm not being truly kind. I mean, kind in the short term and unkind in the long term. My whole philosophy is, do you... to others that you'd have on to do unto you that's the whole mm. thing
0: isn't it be kind try and but actually there's a balance between being kind and then being foolhardy mm. I mean we did something recently which some people might go well it was a bit mad but I'd saved for that so it was already put to, to one side and it was well, there was a real purpose to doing what it was and that was to build the team to give the team an opportunity to really get to know each other out of the work but we still we went on that trip knowing that during that time away we were still responsible to the candidates and to the hiring businesses that we were working with so we still advertised we still took the calls even though we were overseas it made no difference to the business the best thing it was was um, that we the team really become became much stronger yeah but a, there, there is that balancing act, isn't it, of being kind, but also saying, I want to hold on to your job. I want you to hold on to your job. So there's times when I'm going to, have to say no.
5: Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
2: Know. I think the expectation as well for, you know, when you are hiring someone, the team for me, you know, when I listed down, what's the most important thing? And it, it is the team. No one is going to care about your business as much as you do. No. Um, but what can you do to make sure that they are engaged, that they know what you're working towards and that they're rewarded for the success and that could be their own personal development you know the opportunities um that they have but as a small business your team wants to take responsibility for that themselves there isn't similarly as I imagine you had in the bank phil um, and within the nh within the nhs and dentistry there's kind of a career a clear quick career progression um and over a period of time you know you just move up a pay grade and that kind of thing within a small business mm. your team needs to produce the work and deliver that work to to be paid for it for them to then get the reward for that and to move up in experience or you know or move on and you know I've always seen far and beyond you know we've had some brilliant designers and, and members of the team who have come in learned their craft developed their craft and then moved on to other agencies and as heartbreaking as that is you have to take that as a real success and kind of take the win as much as you do uh, as much as you can because when it goes wrong or when you're not happy and the team the member of staff doesn't perhaps work out and you f- take it personally you're always going to take that 10 times worse than you know the person who left off happily and was like really grateful and had a great opportunity a great experience and has moved on and you've seen them flourish into this new person mm. that's brilliant and really rewarding mm. but that memory's quickly gone when the next thing happens and it's yeah. someone who was unhappy with that be an unhappy customer or an unhappy member of the team yeah you know that's what you take home with you
0: do you know, so I had a conversation with one of our colleagues this morning and I was saying to him, you know, because I, I was we we're talking about just what we're doing to add to what he's doing to help him. And you know, and I said, you know, remember, just remember that when we when you know we agreed to work together, because it's a, a mutual agreement, isn't it, to work together. Just remember when I said to you is look. I whilst my my name's above the door and I run the business with Matt you know ultimately you are I don't own you so when the day you decide to go you know let's do it in a way that it's if if that's what you want to do you don't feel you have to be here be here because you want to be here and he said it was it was he was talking to his mum and his mum said you know you you seem really happy but why are you still happy you know because there's an expectation you know you're asked to do sales and stuff like it can't be a really joyful thing which I I it was really tough but he said, and he just turned around, and so he said, well, I'll go and speak to Janet about it, first of all. And I just sat there like, oh my <laughs> God, that's so lovely. You know, he would come to me. But that is, I think, you know, I I leave the door open for them to go if they need to, but the door is always open if they leave in the right way. But then, as you say, you think to yourself, I've invested all that time and money and effort and, you know, whatever into them. Why can't I hold on to them? But life is life, isn't it? We all yeah. move.
6: I think one thing we're quite lucky with as well, the team that we've got around us, is that they all know what we have to do to make it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, as a growing, small but growing business, yeah. there's lots of jobs that you maybe have to do outside of your standard job description. And I've really noticed that whilst we were away is that everyone pulled their way. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if we don't make that money every month, yeah. they can't pay their mortgages, they can't pay their rent. And they get that. And I think it's us as leaders allowing them to see... The mechanisms that go on behind the organization mm. to make it run and to make that happen every month they they recognize it and they they all do so what you know i guess it does come back to that point that you were you raised before adam and phil you know about having the right people in your business and i think as a leader that is probably yeah. most I, critical I think, well, janet has always
1: said that you, know, that you should always employ people better than yourself mm-hmm. and that is totally true i have a practice manager who is fantastic and so I trust her with everything if there's a big Mm. decision she will run it by us but normally we know she's made the right decision so as far as recruiting goes we leave it to her and the head nurse who are of the same ilk from the same background so they understand the qualities of a good member of staff more than I would I would understand the clinicians a little bit better to a Mm. certain extent but we definitely always always employ people better. We have trained a lot of young nurses up to very good standards, and they have been tempted because the grass is greener with the corporate world now, who are charging more, uh, charging more money, giving a uh, higher wage. And it turns out most of them that have gone to the greener pastures aren't as happy because they're not being treated well. Because we are a smaller firm in a way, so we we uh, more family oriented rather than a corporate with uh, venture capitalists owning it and looking for profit margins and things. So we're very fortunate that way. So definitely don't do the recruiting yourself. Not, I'm not, I'm not touting anybody's business. No, but, 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 use someone who I knows that. better, and it, honestly, and, and recruit people who are better than yourself, because you, you, yeah. you are, you know about certain things, but you don't know about the, all the vast array of, mm. all the aspects of business. Uh, as we had a good accountant who gave advice and said, if you want to uh, to measure the size of your building, you don't do it yourself. You you employ a quantity surveyor, mm. an accountant, an electrician, but, it, but. Being a boss, as uh, was said earlier, you need to learn other skills than uh, than just uh, going in uh, on your on your desk. You have to be able to fix things, buy the ink, uh, know 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 about little things. Jack of all trades, which mm. which I quite enjoy.
0: But going into running your own business, I mean, what do you do to? You know, to make sure that your own well-being is managed to help you get get up in the morning. I mean, is there any is there anything weird or wonderful or just, just not normal actually? We we'll do normal. <laughs> it's that kind of show? No children, but it's that kind of show. I mean, what do you do to? To relax, to keep your well-being
5: in check. Do you relax, is that no. the thing? Yeah, no, we, we do. Never. <laughs> Someone asked that I Yeah. So, I mean, I I actually find things like this really beneficial, being with other founders, talking with other people that get it. Yeah. Like, that is actually... And one of the things I'm trying to do, because it's definitely... I actually reckon that this year has been harder... Um, than the than the period where we had no income and I thought it was going to be bankrupt. It's so difficult at the moment with the ever-changing landscape but you know I think what I am finding as a good coping coping mechanism is speaking to other founders and hearing them say like you saying, you know in my seventeen years the last four have been the hardest. Thank Christ for that. Because I thought I was doing something wrong. Like, you know, this is rough. This is hard at points, right? It's not all hard. Sometimes it's wonderful. But for the most part, it's hard, right? And... Hearing that from other people and then being able to know that you're... It's not a personal failing, actually. It's not something I am personally doing wrong. It is something that is that everybody's feeling, everybody's running, their tanks are on empty, and we've all got to find it within ourselves to, you know, that resilience that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, hearing that from others it it fills my tank up right, it okay. makes me feel you know brighter and happier and then i can be stronger to go out mm-hmm. you, can, you can only
1: do that with your peers you can't do it with that the yeah. people who are who are uh, you're employing yeah. because yeah. that does show weakness uh, and we are all got to be up at that high level so it's good to have other peers in a similar situation mm-hmm. to make you think as you say
6: i feel better now i'm not yeah, the I mean, only one yeah. i'm not alone
5: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm.
6: I know you said once, Kate, that you, I think it was you I was talking to, you've got a peer group that you meet with quite a lot. It's a...
5: The Diabolical Witches. That's the one. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So the Diabolical Witches is a group of women CEOs from Leeds and and around. Um, It's it's me, Anna Sutton, Zandra Moore, um, Charlie and um, Jodie, Jodie Hill. Um, And... um, yeah we we meet up every probably every two or three months or something and how messy um, does it get <laughs> not not actually that messy we do what's so, like so good because we're so frank with each other that's good so which is like they're just i love that right and i because that's who i am as a person i really like frank conversations so we sit down and one of it we'll just be like having dinner together or whatever like sometimes we go out sometimes we go to one of the, like somebody's house um you know and we'll sit there and we'll just be talking about stuff they absolutely slammed me at the last one in a really good way. I needed to hear it. Um, I've got a big decision that I'm sort of pushing around at the moment. Something, you know, something big is in there. I can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Something big is potentially happening. Um, I'm under NDA, so I can't say anything more than that. But <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're really trying hard not I am, to say <laughs> I am so bad at keeping a secret, honestly, yeah. given I run the secret event yeah. service. But anyway, yeah. basically, I'm making a really big decision. And, um, and my friends were basically like you're not taking into consideration your value. You need to take a step back. You need, but in a, such a good way, they are like that that group yeah. for me um, that really help me to, yeah. you know, actually see the wood for the trees and realise my value and all of the things. And I'm really bad at know If anybody else is as bad at this, but I never celebrate success. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, we like, we win something big or we get nominated or shortlisted for an award and I'm like, oh, that's brilliant for about five minutes, and then I'm like, oh, now we need to do something else, and I just move straight on. I don't celebrate it enough, and I'm constantly getting told off for that, but Thank which you. is the right thing. But. It,
3: it's a danger, that, isn't it? I think um, I, I can certainly relate as a business owner. You get carried by your passion, um, mm-hmm. and you realise when you set up a business, you're going to have to make sacrifices. And certainly, um, for the first 18 months of my business, it was very much knuckle down, and you know, mm. ha- keep that vision clear. Mm. But you're working all hours God sends. Mm. Um, but sometimes you d- you do have to stop and, and reflect on how far you've come, and and damn well celebrate that. Mm. Um, that that taking the time to reflect is so important, and ensuring that you've got a real keen eye on on your well being throughout mm. it. Because, yeah, passion um, is a wonderful thing. When you, when you love what you do, as I think all of us around this table do, mm. it, it's a wonderful thing, but you have to be wary of uh, of the pitfalls of that too and the prospect for uh, burnout.
0: Mm. What do you do to pat yourself on the shoulder for your success, Phil? Well, nothing.
4: <laughs> I'm, I am li- literally, I was going to say, I've got some techniques that, in terms of... That look after my mental health and well-being yeah. that I do, uh, but, in, but to Kate's point, I think that's probably one of the most mm-hmm. sinister parts of, of of a lack of resilience, which is that uh, you know an inability to, to yeah. feel proud or to celebrate mm-hmm. success mm-hmm. Yes. and just not even recognise it. It just flies by. Yeah. My wife yeah. said to me the other day, you know, you should be really proud of that, and I literally stopped for a second. I was being a bit argumentative because I had a bad day, and I just said, I honestly don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't have any sense of of pride mm-hmm. in what, what you're talking about. I understand the words you're saying, yeah. but I don't have that feeling yeah. because it's just the next thing. When we won the large tender
1: against big corporates to win mm-hmm. open the practice in Bradford, we were in the car in a car park on a wet Wednesday afternoon in County Fermanagh, if you remember. Yeah. And we just said, oh, that's well done. And then we moved on mm-hmm. and that was mm-hmm. it. And we sh- it should have been a big
0: I mean, it was a a big deal for us because it was the first time we'd actually bid for a... Sorry, by the way, for anybody, this is my husband. (laughs) 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 So we'd both join. And the worst thing is being a husband and wife team, you know, in terms of running two different businesses. It is, we don't really celebrate the success that we...
1: No,
0: we don't. No, we don't. Because you're just thinking, you just got to move on to that next thing. And then Mm. when you do succeed in something, you're thinking, right, What if it all goes away? What happens if it disappears? Yeah. And, and I think the one thing that I learned during the time when I nearly lost him, Alan, that is, was, you know, what does it all matter? Mm. But what matters is that I love what I do and I love the people that I work with. But actually, at the end of the day, it's family. It's, you know, things like that that are much more important. I think that's where I get the balance. I mean, you've got two very small children as well.
4: Yeah, so, so for bringing you back down to earth, yes. that's very easy. Yeah. Yeah, to have a yeah. conversation about, you know, why the earth rotates.
0: Yes, yeah. And
4: size of some animal's head, you yes. know, that kind of thing. So that's, yes. that's, that's, that's useful. The other thing I do, one of the worst things, inventions, is the mobile phone in terms of keeping your attention. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't take it upstairs anymore. So it's, it goes downstairs when I go to bed because yeah. previously I would have been, you know, it was yeah. easier to just have yeah. a look.
5: She you know, had to do yeah. the exact same with my phone too. I leave my phone on charge downstairs and mm. really pick up Because otherwise the first thing you do in the morning, last thing you do at night is look mm-hmm. at it. First mm-hmm. thing you do in the morning is look mm-hmm. at
4: it. And you're looking, you're almost fed by the,
5: yeah. the
4: excitement or the whatever. Yeah. The, the no. drug of, of it. Do you know I'm going to start
0: doing that because I have mind by my because of my alarm clock. Because
5: mm-hmm.
0: doesn't like <laughs> alarm clocks. Mm. So I'm just point, I'm pointing mm-hmm. to the person next to me. Doesn't like alarm clocks, but i it is, it's terrible. I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll just look at my emails in the middle of the night. Mm. That's not good. Just
4: the freedom of of uh, of not of ignoring something, yeah. you know, yeah. because the inference is it's all on me. Yeah. I've got to, to to reply and respond and an action yeah. immediately, otherwise it says something about me. Yeah. There's something quite free
0: about,
6: about just, you know, of yeah. hours, I'm, 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 I mean, incogn- it's I'm incognito. That's not, not
4: necessary.
1: Yeah.
6: And I think especially at the moment, I mean, one thing that I'm sure you're all you know feeling is the news i know janet yeah. switched off the news on her phone i still have it coming through for in break, march you know breaking news but we just got to a point where there was just too much negativity mm. we couldn't yeah, do it mm-hmm. anymore because it was affecting Absolutely. us in the business mm.
5: i've had um, to leave twitter yeah. i love politics right so i've always been into politics mm. but it's so divisive That's and awful, and yeah. awful. nasty That's and awful. horrible yeah. and <laughs> just awful and it has been for so long now that you can't engage with it for any longer than you know a few minutes a day before you've sort of pulled into the black hole and it's just horrendous I suppose that's
2: the key thing about all of this is that we have to look after our mental health because when we go into the studio into the office the next day and we're supposed to be looking you know motivated enthusiastic and telling the team everything's going to be great this is what we're going to do and this is the future plan if you're in a position where you're thinking Oh, this is awful, isn't it, really?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you think I haven't finished that argument on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're thinking about that instead of your business, which is important. Yeah. But one of the things we, we went to a, a, one of these business coach meetings, remember years ago, Janet, there's mm. a guy who's famous in dentistry for this. And he said the way to prepare for work is to start your day with a victory, which for me was getting out of bed, but for him was going for a five mile run. Mm-hmm. And as things like that for your mental, he said that's good for your mental health, and I can see what he means. Yeah, as preparing. That's the good one. You
4: actually, somebody told me recently about it's quite on vogue at the minute about making lists mm-hmm. uh, and also tidying stuff up. Mm-hmm. So, with that in mind, you know you write down a list of things that are irritating you, mm-hmm. and you make a point of chalking them off one by one by one. It irritates you if you don't. You see it, it irritates you. Mm-hmm. You come back a month later, and it's still there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, it was tidying out a cupboard. Yes. Or, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. And that felt that, you know, that it was away from work. It was a mm-hmm. sense of achievement. Because sometimes you do a day's work and you, you're not sure what you've achieved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was, that, that was really helpful. And getting yeah. it's something away from work. The other thing I've done is taking an office again. So yes. uh, oh, okay. I have, we have an office where I can plonk down and, you know, work a shared space. But I've got a real worry, particularly for my team, because my business is 100% remote.
0: Right.
4: Is the knock-on mental health consequence of home working I'm, and I, I'm scared to death of that
0: i think that is actually a thing that as business leaders for those of us who have decided or are are thinking about um remote working what that does to the workforce because there will be i i personally believe there will be huge consequences it's huge a bomb waiting to go off it's a bomb waiting to go off and but, it's why we've decided not to do that what's particularly
4: insidious about it is colleagues will want to Will almost to be in, feel entitled yes. to
0: home working? Yeah. Oh, we see that. But they're not
1: realising. The and then not really. Yeah, they don't really understand that it's a skill to be able to do. That. The only adverse on TV of people, ladies at home working, but they've mm. got the children crawling on the floor beside mm. them. They've got somebody at the doorbell. How can mm. you be focused
4: 100 all day
1: with all? You can't. The, but then you're back to this entire
4: idea of entitled again. So yes, when you no, don't no, get no, it, it's a bit scary, really. You know. And the next thing we're talking about, you know, energy bills going up. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the expectation that colleagues might then say, well, you, I'm working from home, so can you contribute towards mm-hmm. well my... Yes, yeah. yeah. in- but, in- but they're not they paying transport, they're not paying not, car, petrol money.
0: But you, you know, I, this
4: entitlement that
0: mm, looking at, I was reading an article before we uh, this morning and looking at what the challenges are for hybrid managers. And actually, when you think about it, they make absolutely com- it's common sense, really. And you see, building a team when interaction is reduced... How do you build a team? Now, I know, I think one of the things that you went into, you went into online events, didn't you? Yeah, we
5: did, yeah.
0: I mean, that was amazing. Who would have thought you could have done
5: that? I know, I don't think we did. We certainly didn't, actually. You know, it, it wasn't something that was on our radar whatsoever because I was really passionate about bringing people together. Yeah. And actually, I was very resistant to doing yeah. it um, when it all first kicked off. I, jo- I didn't see the pandemic coming, and I don't know about the rest. I didn't see it coming, and I thought it'd be over within a couple of weeks. So, you know, I did go through a naive stage <laughs> in the pandemic where I thought, ah. Oh, It's all going to be all right. By June, everything will have reopened. Everything will be fine. We can cope till then. And then July, we'll be able to start running events again and it'll all be okay. And then obviously that became quite apparent that that wasn't going to happen. Um, So we adapted really early to to Mm -hmm. virtual events. And that's been part of our success. So we grew by 325% in the first year of the pandemic when it was quite literally illegal to do what we'd originally set out to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, Boris and your parties. Was it legal? Yeah, all of that. So guys, um, but, you know, gotta say it. Gotta say it. I know he's gone, but still. But yeah, we did that, and that was really, actually, really interesting for the teams. We did a lot of internal team events at yeah. the time over the course of that eighteen months. Um, we did Christmas parties. We wrote murder mysteries and did virtual murder mysteries and all sorts of crazy things. And and all of those things helped. To bring people together when they couldn't be yes, together. But yes. I am completely in agreement with you that, you know, we still do virtual events and they absolutely work and they absolutely have a purpose still in this climate. But nothing upon nothing replaces human connection and being together. Yeah. Nothing. And because- as a boss, I think as a boss,
0: as a business owner, I mean, because you, you've, you've, I don't know, we've not met many people who've got 100% remote working. How does that enable you to connect with your people and maintain that level of trust and communication? How do you do that?
4: Well, we shouldn't kid ourselves. We're kind of laying the straw as they go along, you yeah. know. So this is relatively new. Yeah. And I'm, I'm convinced we're not as productive as we otherwise could be. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced we've got a challenge from a mental health perspective.
6: Yeah.
4: As a, from a team morale perspective, it, it is. It can't be as easy or as good mm. than a branch or an office, mm. but I, but I don't think that we're going to get away from it. That the no. future is this is coming one way or another. Yes. So we've got just got to get good at it. Yeah. Um, how do I cope with trust? It's the what I said earlier about you know choosing not to give one because if you don't trust, you'll just drive yourself mad. If if I'm making the decision to run my business model as a remote business, Mm. if I don't trust people to work remotely, I shouldn't have started in the first place.
0: I think the advice I would give to anybody who's developing a hybrid working environment is that onboarding process is absolutely Mm. critical Mm. because that onboarding, you know, if if you're having, especially people who are starting their careers or, Mm. or have transferred into other careers, and I say this to all of our clients, tell me about your on. i asked them about their onboarding process make sure that it's robust and onboarding is not just having a quick day of or five days mm-hmm. uh, a good onboarding process and i was reading some articles on it, it takes about six months to onboard mm-hmm. somebody properly mm-hmm. and when i said that too we went out recently to speak to the banks about various things and i said look i won't get any i won't get a return on my investment in people for at least six months to mm-hmm. 12 months mm-hmm. and they kind of looked at me and went, well, the computer says no I'm right? thanks very much but actually you know it is the reality is is that in our industry it takes a long time and, and a lot of industries where they're providing service and advice and stuff like it takes a long time hmm. but the onboarding is absolutely critical hmm. and if you can get together as often as you can if you're having a, a hybrid working model that would be my biggest piece of advice is yeah. onboarding have a very robust onboarding process. I, I have to be thinking, cross- thoughtful
4: about who the dynamic of colleague that, br- that I bring in because hmm. you know I remember being a 20 year old kid first hmm. job in centre of Leeds in a call centre hmm. that was a brilliant job you know yeah. but and people today of that age might think, well, oh, I'm not doing that. It's a different dynamic. But I wouldn't want to deny, you know, a 20 year old lad, the, the opportunity to to learn those life experiences and working experiences in offices where you get things wrong and you make a mistake and you say mm-hmm. something wrong and you get a in and then you get some stuff right and then you get a promotion, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. A twenty-year-old coming has passed their CMAP to do a BMO mortgage advice and they can now advise. Who might well have the gift, of the gab, and all the rest of it, but the discipline to be sat in four walls, eight, you know, five days a week.
5: Mm. Yeah,
4: that's a big ask.
5: I think this is who it's the worst for. This the remote working is for the young people because what you don't learn when you work from home is like when you're in an office environment, you learn through osmosis, you learn through hearing somebody else having a problem. Mm. And hearing a manager mm. help them solve that problem. Mm. You hear, you know, the tone of voice when somebody picks up the phone. You you know, you're learning constantly by just being in that environment. And if you're completely remote and you're like exactly the example you've just given, a 20-year-old per- young person that's just trying to get to grips with the world and they've got a lot to deal with at that age, actually, they're not getting that. Mm. And, then they, and then our expectation of them remains the same as it did, you know, however long ago. And in a small business, you have a real, you know, it's exactly what you just said, Janet. You know, you're not going to see a return on investment on that person for six to 12 months, but there's pressure immediately in a small business to see an ROI as soon as possible because you can't just be outlaying that cost. So you're expecting to see that return on investment at the same time as not having a working environment that actually allows that person to get up to speed as quickly as possible. Mm. You know, and I think that's really hard.
3: I'll be honest. I mean, my team do work entirely remotely, although we we do have um, opportunities regularly uh, where we we get together. uh, We we regularly meet on Zoom as well. But there's a few reasons why we we set up in a remote format. Uh, The first of all was when I started, it was on my kitchen table. And then I started to onboard people on a freelance basis. So it it worked for them from an hour's point of view. Then I took on a a member of the team who unfortunately has a chronic illness and she works from home um, and and the prospect of actually getting into the office, it it wouldn't be possible. And then another member of the team, so the the business is based in Harrogate, but my full-time member of staff, she um, lives in Alden. So the prospect of getting to Harrogate every day is impossible, but we, we manage it really well. And the the times that we do have together as a team packed with enthusiasm, you know, there's still that team dynamic there. We we also have a mentoring program. So three, uh, two of our members of staff act as mentors for other members of the team. So there's that regular contact and development there. Um, And, from a personal managerial perspective i just ensure that i'm having regular check-ins with them too and that we we absolutely have our team days and and make sure they happen but i
0: think your plan i think that's the thing is you're planning you are prepared for that remote working i'm not saying i certainly wouldn't say that remote working is not a a a viable option for some industry for some people it's absolutely it's industry dependent it's understanding but it's about the connection you have with the leadership team or with the business that you're working with the colleagues you know how you do that i mean i've heard horror stories where people are working from home and they're on zoom so their boss can watch them every minute of the day I mean, that is just, can you imagine that? I'm going to the toilet and they're going to watch me go to the loo. I used to do that quietly. You know, there's a thought of things like that is just too horrendous to even contemplate. But there are businesses and that's where the trust as a business leader, you know, you have to develop that trust. So getting it right is really critical.
3: You do. And I I have to say, I'm just incredibly lucky with the people that Mm -hmm. I have found, I, I would say. To be honest, Janet, I've never done any recruitment uh, yeah. myself, but I, obviously I uh, know very well where to come when, <laughs> when I do in the future.
0: Shameless plug. <laughs> 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 no, <whatever the> one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blushing. I'm <laughs> blushing. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, but, but um, I'm very lucky in the sense that it, it's been developing that personal connection, yeah. and, and I've very clearly and instinctively known who the right people would be for my business. Just to add to how we maintain our dynamic, I just wanted to mention this. I I don't know if anyone around this table has heard of a whiffle before. So we we use a whiffle and and what that means is uh, what I feel like expressing as part of our team meetings. And that is a completely open question. So it can be, you can bring it um, something that's happening in in work to the table. You can bring something that's in your personal life. It's an opportunity for you to uh, tell the rest of the team what is going on with you at the moment and and what you feel like expressing. And and we found that to be an incredibly powerful tool um, and, and liberating for people too.
4: And how did you get that going in the first instance? I imagine the first one was tough. Yeah, well, I think... the boundary of what you can (laughs) tell?
3: Having done it myself in the past, and I can't remember quite how I found out about it, but I I think I, I guess I took the lead in that, and I think I instinctively just talked about something that was going on in my personal life at the time and set up some of the, the boundaries there and then. And, and actually, when people started talking, um, it, w- it was incredible how everybody else followed on a powerful process.
0: Mm. I think one of the things I know from Alan's experience as, a, as, a, as an associate dentist, you know, just in talking about some of the industries or professions where they work very much alone, they may have a nurse with them and a patient, but they've got their hands in the patient mouth. Mm. I mean how do you think that affects people?
1: Well I think well we're we're very fortunate. The classic old dental practice used to be a single nurse, stroke receptionist and a dentist. And they worked in the room. It was a very solitary business. Fortunately, we've got a six surgery practice, so I think the mental health is reasonably good because you're quite often, you live more in that one room than you do anywhere else in the world for the rest of your life. And you probably see more of your nurse than you do of your wife or your partner, your husband, whatever. And uh, so it's very important to get good relationships going. But as far as mental health goes, I think, fortunately, we we all interact a lot together. We talk, they, we pop into each other's surgeries, we send messages, the nurses are in and out, and we cha- we rotate the nursing staff. And the future of healthcare are multi, multi-surgery practices like doctors. They're also more cost efficient for electricity and for rent and all all those things. But so the, the single-handed practice is is a goner. It's, it's just not there anymore. Mm. I think as as the whistle goes, we we get uh, we get a lot of chat and just just discuss little things, mm-hmm. and we're we're all out to help because we do know that dentists are a funny breed. They're very, uh, very very particular and precise. And if we've got a failure, it it eats away at us. We want everything to be perfect and successful. It's funny. I Had a lady in recently who had gone and got dental work in Pakistan, and she came back and said. Uh, It was okay for the first three weeks. Now I'm in severe pain, and I thought, "Oh, first three weeks, and you're happy with that?" Oh, well, I thought I was okay, and I thought, "Bloody hell, I would have been totally distraught that I'd done inflicted this torture on someone." But uh, the the guy, she she phoned the practice and said, "No, it's okay. It'll be all right. It'll go away." Didn't care. Psychopathic, Mm. you know, sociopath. Didn't care. Money, money's in the bank. Off you go, Mm. and that was i said they're slightly different to us
0: (laughs) i think culture you you create your own culture don't you in the business in terms of what your values are your employee proposition you know that's sort of the value proposition we're talking about that with a potential client this morning but i suppose going back to sort of you know if you have learned what you've each learned about resilience and mental health from your own experience and how that's changed you how it's it's shaped you in respect of managing yourself and others i mean who wants to start off
5: I think one of the things that um, I've always been very good when my back's against the wall, right? So yeah. if, if I'm put in a difficult situation, then I am I find that um, to be a driver, to sort mm-hmm. of want to fix it and want to be successful through it. But I think, you know, like we've been saying, you know, it, the constant change, the ever-evolving change and the constant need to be like that um, is quite hard to have, I think. So you have to rest, and I think that is the hardest thing as a business owner, actually putting your foot down and saying, no, I have to rest now so that I can refill and I can mm. then come back and reinvigorate you all with the Dunkirk spirit that we're going to need for the next six months, mm. yeah. you know, because we, that's why we got through the pandemic and why we smashed it through the pandemic, because our team had such a Dunkirk spirit. We were absolutely, we weren't going to be defeated. We, we were going to win and that was that. And, you know, and we grew the team through the pandemic when others weren't recruiting and all the rest of it. You know, and it was that drive that got us through. Where I found it very difficult was I had mentally, in order to give myself that resilience, I have mentally told myself I would get a, res- a rest when the pandemic was over. Still <laughs> oh, waiting. It's <So, laughs> like, you know, that's not happened. And then, so now it's that finding finding rest in the moments because I'm not going to get a month off. I'm not going to get, you know, a, a chunk of time off that I need. I'm going to have to find rest in other ways, but that is ultimately what my brain, my body needs mm-hmm. in order to come back stronger and then, you know, push us on to year... We're in year five now. pushes into year five, year six, year seven. Um, but when everyone told me that year four is hell, they were absolutely right.
0: <laughs> what about you, Zach? What, are you, what have you learned? Well,
3: from my point of view, I mean... Um, there's a handful of people in my life who, who know and it's the first time I've spoken about my mental health publicly before. Um, I've suffered um, with clinical depression since I was 17 on and off. And that has a, a profound effect on me when I'm in the midst of it. But I, I realise um, that really sometimes you know the, the standards that you set yourself in business when i'm in in the midst of a depressive period it's a case of showing up it's it's re- recognizing that no I'm, I'm not going to be able to perform at my best here but i just have to keep going because it, it's unfortunately it's not something that you can wake up one day and snap out of it's mm. very in my experience it's very much a process um Doing the best you can, and and for last year, last February, um, there was there was a lot going on for me personally, um, and then within the space of two weeks, due to the impact of the pandemic, um, we we lost a third of our regular income as a business. So that that was an incredibly challenging time for me, and really the spark of a depressive period, which lasted best part of five months, and. I don't quite know, honestly, how I got through that. But looking back um, and what I did during that period, I kept showing up. Um, So I had a a regular weekly networking meeting at the time and I went every week without fail. Um, You know, and I I put a smile on despite how I was feeling. Uh, But it, it was very much one foot in front of the other, um, and I, I did seek help. You know, I, I did receive counselling on, on the NHS from that as well. Um, it's so important to ask for help and, and talk when you need it.
0: I think that's really important. To yeah, actually it is. Help. It is. And it is. business leaders and owners, founders, we're expected to be so strong absolutely. that we just keep going. Why are you? Yeah,
1: sharing is, about, is absolutely. It you. is. It have yeah. been I'd been getting burnout as it turned out to be for years and it, it didn't it, it crept up slowly you don't mm. realize you're losing your enthusiasm yeah, no, and no. you're thinking uh, you know, you're you not looking forward to it we'd be going on holidays and Janet would say oh we're going it's only seven days and I go yeah so what?" Well. you know it wouldn't be until that morning I'd go partially interested and say oh we're going today aren't we and that would be the level of my excitement because of burnout and I found out it was clinical treatment of mm. people mm-hmm. and so I backed off from it the sun rose the next day. The practice still ran. I was fortunate; we had a practice where had other people working, and it kept running. And so I backed off, and now I'm back into doing a little bit, but choosing the the levels at which keep my, my brain That's happy, and it's uh, it's far far better. And it was but it was realizing it. It wasn't until we spoke. I spoke to my GP, and he just said, "I'm signing you off," mm-hmm. and then we got a clinical uh, guy, uh, uh, psychiatric advisor come around and he said you were burned out completely mm-hmm. and I thought right okay fair enough medication took it but it didn't work mm-hmm. I thought no no it's all down to my lifestyle and my work situation and I was very fortunate I could change that and create differences to it which has helped tremendously and now yeah and then it, as far as not hol- having holidays and things, you know, we don't. We haven't had an awful lot because the business is, is very hectic. But well, we, I, I started. We're learning foreign languages. We're, uh, Japanese. Going, I'm learning mm-hmm. Japanese. Going to going to the gym more. Walking the dogs. Playing mm-hmm. more golf. It is. Those are my little holidays. Rather because I'm not a keen on going awake in the sunshine. To be honest, you know, I know Janet is, <laughs> but uh, it's about people go fishing for relaxation Mm. to me it would be utterly boring but i'd rather walk the dogs for an hour Mm. and just watch them doing things and those are your little mental breaks because you can't look forward to six months away and say oh i've got a week off how exciting to me that's that's not that's too Mm. far away you need to do it continually
2: it's so easy to find reasons not to take that break Mm. and find it you know You know, trying to even if it's taking a couple of days off, or it'd be great to go and do that, but yeah, well, we're a bit busy at the moment, or we're a bit quiet at the moment, so I need to be in the office to make sure we get busy again. That's true. So you're forever, you know, panicking about one way or the other, yeah. Mm. Um, but for myself, I probably had my worst period of time in business um, was about 2013 so it was after the the last recession and we had at that point two studios we had one in Leeds and one in Manchester and the business plan had originally been to open more um, around the country which would have fitted um, my previous relationship with what we were looking to do. That had ended about kind of three or four years prior to that but I hadn't really made any changes to the business to my trajectory because I was just in the moment and and running the business. And we got to a period where the nature of the market, uh, we used to do a lot of nightclub events and, um, and, and promotional um, flyers for those kind of those kind of organizations. Everything started to move more online with Facebook advertising, so the people didn't need as many flyers mm-hmm. and that whole audience didn't necessarily, at that point, understand the value in design. So print was affected, design was then affected, um, and the business model, with people moving to online printers and that kind of thing, didn't really fit with what we were doing. And whilst we were doing quite well in the digital side of, um, of things, because we were in that aspect of the business quite far ahead compared to our competitors, we hadn't really got a clear strategy that brought that all together. I also then had two, two people running reception, one in Leeds and one in Manchester. I had a designer in each, each um, place, and I was driving back and forth between Leeds and Manchester on different days of the week, leaving at 5.30 in the morning, getting home at whatever time at night, and... At the same time, we were getting prepared to have my first child. And at that same time, Diana, my mother, who also does our accounts, I think a big part of all of this is having people in the business you can trust. Mm. And I'm very fortunate. That if there's anyone who's going to tell me the real truth, it, it's my mother. Uh, <laughs> 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 so, and, and, and she basically pointed out that this that, that things weren't at what they should be doing. We weren't making the money we should be making, and we were going to have to make some tough decisions. And... In the end, that decision was to close the Manchester studio and, you know, look at how we we're going to manage that, that team that was there. Uh, and I'm very fortunate that um, the key, one of the key members of the team there is still with us now and has been working from home. So we talk about remote working and, you know, the issues, that you have with that. I've had a member of staff working from home for, you know, almost 10 years now. And, and that's worked brilliantly for him, but it's down, like we said earlier, the individual and the nature of the work that they're doing and how that can work and how also how it impacts on the rest of the team. But I was going to NCT classes uh, before Matthew was being born and just sat there the whole time, just almost, you know, constantly, permanently feeling slightly sick because Mm -hmm. what am I going to do? What decision am I going to make? You know, I went down to, well, if we just close the whole business down, how, how could I earn an income myself? By which point I've been the director for you know, several years, so pretty much unemployable uh, <laughs> because I'm so used to be able to do things my own way. And then, well, if I did do it my own, well, I, would I need someone else to do this? And I ended up basically completely reinventing the business and going to the team and saying, right, we're changing our target audience. We're changing our pricing structure. We're changing pretty much everything about the business and then it'll all be fine. And myself, not necessarily entirely sure it would all be fine. Um, <laughs> but now, you know, we, you know, we talk about in the team sometimes and say, yes, well, you know, you're a real leader. You're, you know, you're forward thinking. Or, you know, in the pandemic, how you know we we pivoted and we adapted. And actually, I just did what I had to do. Yeah. But. The feeling of responsibility to the team you know doesn't get any easier as time goes on you still feel you know you replay every decision and um, the feeling of permanently feeling sick and you know and that kind of stuff does make a difference but having knowing that there was a date when Matthew was going to be born or roughly a date I actually put things in focus and you know my wife who's you know enabled me to get to where we are today by being that constant support by you know being the the voice of um, reason by making sure that we don't I don't make some of those excuses where you know oh well yeah I'm gonna have to work late because I need to do this and and that and I did pretty much you know well I've been home for pretty much every single bedtime you know for the last nine years and you know done now I've got two children so now I have to all you know now we alternate and that gave me the break that I needed. In the weekends, I don't work because I can't, yeah. because I've got children to you know to be looking after. And that probably for me has been what's helped me. It does add a bit of stress, but then it's a different kind of stress. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and all I can do is is. Trust in you know we talked about getting a you know a good team having people in the team you can trust and talk to yeah. and having people around you you know my wife my mother um mm-hmm. you know a, a key to that gavin in the team you know as you know janet and matt i wouldn't be able to do what i'm doing now and johnny uh, from a creative point of view giving me that telling me that i'm wrong trusting me to make you know, trusting that I will make a decision that's not only in my best interest, in their best interest, and in the company's best interest. So the secret um, is have children.
5: But yeah, having children.
2: To be honest, it's really
5: interesting because I look at that. I, so I'm 29. I turned 30 in a couple of months, and I look at having kids and I think, when the hell would I have time? <laughs> like, yeah. How am I going to fit that in? And I want kids. It,
0: like, does, it does
2: refocus things. Do
0: you know something? I I didn't even. Want, I, we got married and we were 30, and I had no thoughts of having children at all. I don't know how it happened, but it did after i got married and you know it was the best thing as a balancer that's mm. that, that was just for me the best thing was balancing was you know i've got somebody more important to think about
2: and it doesn't necessarily have to be children but there are things we, you know i think yeah. when we're in the office you know and several of us have got children we talk about children the guys who haven't got children are sat there going you're not really selling this
5: yeah <laughs> I, I it all the time
2: i, I kind of fear Sell that we, we, we run the risk of doing the same for being a director the, the parallels are quite similar <laughs> yeah it is the most rewarding thing in the world and you know we, we talk about Legacy, or what you want to, you know, what you want to show. I want people to look at the business and, you know, be proud. Or I want myself to be proud. I want to feel that we've got there. We'll we'll never get there. We're always. I think that's it, isn't it? make wrong We're decisions. never going to get there.
0: We're never, as long as we have a business, we will never reach the end of it. No. That's the thing.
2: But I want, you know, it's about being putting things in place that make it so you can be as proud yeah. as you are, as I am of my children. Yeah, yeah. Um, you it's know, your legacy. But, you know, when, you, when we are yeah. talking about it, yes, we talk about the negatives, but, you know, and the, and the challenges that that brings and the inconvenience that that might bring, but actually the reward for producing and creating something that, um, you know, supports other people and can give... Challenge, you know, opportunity to other people, and give, you know, start people's careers, and do all the good things that we all dismiss. Yeah, actually, that's the reason we're doing it, and something we need to kind of yeah focus embrace on. More sometimes and embrace sometimes, celebrate to get ourselves to the to, to the next phase or to yeah. the next challenge or the yep. next opportunity yep. of
4: growth.
0: Phil, what about you? What have you well, learned about yourself? And
4: well, in the spirit of whiffle, which is definitely <laughs> my take, one of my takes from today. Um, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say that I've got a, a similar story to you mm. Zach, so I, I've uh, suffered, then struggled and then managed a mental health condition mm. since 2014 mm. and um, you know the things I've heard on the table are although every person's struggle is, is very individual and subtly different, there are a lot of common themes there uh, and, and you know mental health is, is thoroughly evil Mm. Thoroughly evil and indiscriminate, mm. uh, and I suppose that you, you asked the question, Janet, about resilience and what do you do? And I suppose that the relationship between mental health conditions and resilience is the absence of resilience. That's mm. what mental health is, isn't it? A deficiency in resilience or an absence of it or an inability to call on that reserve. Mm. I, I, my my current journey is look is is to try and explore the idea of being positively selfish, and that isn't. Mm mean at the expense of others in that traditional, you know, description of you're a selfish person it's about understanding that you know, when the plane's going down you're told to look after yourself first and there's, 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 there's an important point there because if you don't do that, there's an onward consequence to everybody in and around you. I think there's a bit that says it's okay just to let go you know, and and the pressure around you constantly of it's been successful and what does success mean, success mean and if you don't quite hit that what does that say about you there's a bit that says that in order to rebuild your resilience you just have to be able to let go while the tank refills back up a bit I was a to somebody's question about parenting so I was a late dad so I was 37 when I had my two mm-hmm. In fact, it's technically called being a geriatric parent, which is not a good
0: Yeah way, well, You like, get that when you're 30 as
4: well, by right. the way. <laughs> I'm beyond that then. Um, yeah. But, you know, what I don't give myself credit for is, not myself credit for, but my situation credit for, is I'm the primary care for my kids. Mm. So apart from being the founder of a business that's gone through pandemic and mm. has grown inextricably over that period mm. and frankly still here, which is a lot yes. of businesses aren't, and I take my kids to school every morning, pick them up, go to music because that allows my wife to do a senior job in the bank like I did. Now, I don't currently feel proud about that, though I can describe why I should feel proud about that. And to, to, the, to the point around what, the, the question around, you know, how does that change how I help others in my business? Mm-hmm. I use this mnemonic, which is care. Mm-hmm. So just choose to care. About your people if you do not nothing else other than care you're probably doing something positive so and but the, the care stands for C stands for communicate and don't be afraid to talk to people mm-hmm. who are in a position who you, who you think might be having some challenges from a from a mental health perspective even if you're wrong it's better to be wrong showing care than than to not approach it mm-hmm. A, the A is is to ask, you know, ask lots of questions. It's, you know, I find that people with mental health condition, actually, when they get talking, like to talk about it. So asking questions really helps. The R stands for reassurance. For me, that's something that, you know, maybe it's something I have to deal with because reassurance I need a lot of. Yeah. Um, Though it doesn't necessarily help you. You have to find a way to reassure yourself. But in, in those crises moments, like mm-hmm. you talk to your mental health um mm-hmm. Officer or whatever you said, what did you say you were? Mental health first aider. But yeah. You know, reassurance right there and then it's really important. <clears throat> uh, and, and then the final is empathy. You know, you can't possibly, you can't necessarily understand what that person's going through. Mm. You can imagine what it might be like to be in that position. Yeah, And it's okay to say, you know, that must be, that must be rubbish. So that, that, those are the kind of things I adopt yeah, in my when, business. When we get nervous patients
1: coming into the dental practice, that those are exactly the four things we would do. Mm. Patients come, they're frightened, they're in pain, and they're probably angry, and uh, and they're they're very nervous. So if we do communication, ask them what the problem mm-hmm. is. Then you you discuss it with them. Then you reassure them that you're going to help them and show them empathy. Mm-hmm. You will win that patient over. So it's, it's exactly the same in healthcare mm-hmm. as it is in mental care. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's it, mental care is very important. We uh, we push that a lot in our mm-hmm. practice. That we can we can because we work closely together. We can see if somebody's a bit off that day, and we have a, a chat mm-hmm. and help them and let them go home. Whatever you know, kid problems, boyfriend problems, mm-hmm. lots of issues going on with family things
0: i think it's taking time as well giving yourself some time giving yourself and giving others time i mean interesting one of the things that the british psychology or psychological society says about resilience training resilience training can improve personal resilience and is a useful means of developing mental health and subjective well-being in employees but the first thing i suppose when you're you know one of the one of the key people in terms of developing that levels of resilience and making sure that it's still, it's still well balanced is ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's looking at, and I see so many more companies, a friend of mine, I'll give him a shameless plug now, (coughs) Stuart Brown. Um, Stuart is, he's developing a a, a business that's all about improving resilience within the workforce. It's something he's really passionate about. I think he's currently up or at the base camp of Everest right now. So if you're listening, Stuart, hope you're still alive. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But it's, uh, you know, it is, it's, it's such a, th- a thing that we really, mm. you know, I think more and more companies are investing in it. We're speaking to so many organizations that they're really committed to it. And, you know, I just want to say thank you to you all. You know, you've been really interesting. I think this, this session has been, you know, really, really interesting. I hope that people listening will feel that they've maybe got something out of it and, also, Matt, yes. would you like to say the final word? Not this well, bit. I can you know.
6: see before I do. I can see Zach putting his hand up to uh, say something. I'm so, sorry.
3: I, I I just had a, a few little notes, and I I just thought I'd like to share them if if I could. Yes. Um, <laughs> just from from my own perspective, someone once said to me, um, you know, know that you are not your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. Your own thoughts aren't you. There's sometimes when you're experiencing periods of you know, just pure sadness, or or indeed a mental health problem. You you have the tendency to relate uh, how you're feeling to your own identity, which is mm. a scary position to be in. So know that you're not necessarily your thoughts, and also take strength from your journey and what you've achieved in the past. I know that I, I struggle to do that. Own it, recognize your success, and, and take strength from it. Um, and then otherwise all around boundary setting and and saying no and and talking to people really so yeah I know we've done a lot of talking there so (laughs) I'll leave it there but I didn't want to I think one of the things that I've done as well is one of the things I I should
2: do better should I say I did had a a session and I was asked to draw where I saw myself in five years time and where I saw myself was it was a picture of me my wife my children and and a nice a nice house and that was you know less than (laughs) well it wasn't five years ago um, but actually you know when I did that it didn't really have anything to do with the business the business enables me to do that but then on the back of that we all I also did the kind of orbit the five-year plan and, and, and staged that and I think keeping that true you might not necessarily hit all of those goals but actually it does make you realize when you ex- exceed them and you do have those successes because Five years from now, you think, well, actually, realistically, we could probably do this. And, you know, as a as an owner, I've always been probably more on the negative, well, I like to say realistic, but perhaps negative side of what is achievable. But realistically, we could do this and then do that and do the other we then exceed it. But then that doesn't mean that I go, well, brilliant, That we've exceeded it. I just then increase my expectation yeah. for the next bit. You know, we got to year end and we, you know, we hit, um, we, 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 I think we, we beat our target, but my target at the beginning of the year was what I thought wasn't the same as it was at the end of the year. Mm. So all my do is my expectations move. So doing kind of that four year, five year plan, I do think, you know, in every business coach, says you know you should do it but I do think that's valuable not so much for the you know just planning your future but actually for the mental strategy of how you Manage your own expectations and keep true to that, and keep that picture on the mm-hmm. on the wall because actually it doesn't talk about how, what new clients we've got or what new contracts we've got or how many staff we've got or how much we're in the media or all those kind of different things that you get distracted by. It actually just looks at yeah. what you're. There's a, there's
4: a misconception that sometimes that people you say business owner or managing director or whatever, and you must be a million, you must be wealthy, yeah. you must be. A million, <laughs> <yeah. Mented. laughs> right. yeah. But especially years. given the businesses that have come, through, well, all businesses that have come through the last COVID, particularly if they've been newer during that period, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot to be said about just sticking around. You know, yeah, yeah. just
6: be, just stay in the game.
0: Yeah, as you said, turn up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's what you did. Yeah. turn up. And that's one
6: thing I wrote down. You know, keep turning up and talk because you know, listening to all of your stories today has been so interesting. I've absolutely loved this session with you mm-hmm. all. I think it's one of the best we've done, and I think we've got to keep the conversation going. It's, mm. it's, it is it's getting worse. Mm. Um, not enough is being done about it. You know, I have my struggles. I'm not even running, a, well, I am running a business, but I didn't found the business. So I can't imagine the pressure that you all have to ensure that every single month, you know, you've got to deliver payroll for your, your staff and you've got to keep growing that business. I do know what it feels like. I think because you do
0: actually, yeah, you, you do. I but you is. know,
6: I, I've had my struggles, you know, it's it's not necessarily been related to business. I think it has had an impact. Um, it's been in my personal life. But, you know, I I've been very good at compartmentalizing my personal life, and my business life and putting things in boxes because for me actually, this is a bit sad, but going to work is sometimes a bit of an escape. You know, I love going to work. You know, me and Janet always joke it's a bit of a hobby. Because mm-hmm. when I'm not working, I still am when I'm at home, I'm researching, doing whatever I'm doing. And I think for me, the way I've got through it, and I can resonate a lot with 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 what you've all been talking about today, but especially you, Zach. I think keep talking, mm-hmm. talk to the people around you. Whether it's you know, I mean, me and Janet talk a lot about this. I must admit, Janet is a is a great person for me to to lean on when I'm struggling. I've got a great group of friends. I've got great family, um, and I think just keep turning up, just keep mm-hmm. going. You know, there's there is support out there.
5: There's something really interesting in what you've just said, Matt, because um, the next book I'm about to read is a book called um, Fortitude by Bruce Daisley, and it was only released in August. Um, It's about resilience. That's exactly what it's about. I haven't read it yet, so I don't know the exact conclusion, but what I do know is that what he actually talks about is how resilience is not something that one person can have on their own. Resilience comes from community. Resilience Mm -hmm. comes from those around you, creating collectively creating something that helps you all and you can't be resilient on your own you need others to be resilient with you in order to push what you What was through. that book that, what was the name of the book two, oh books, two
0: books ago you know one of the, that you did what was that yes. book because I read that it was humankind
5: humankind a kind of hopeful about, history Re, Greg Bregman yeah read it it yeah. should be compulsory so reading
0: because I'm it talked on. about you know this resilience and it's talked about you know that war Uh, during the war how you know everybody sort of stuck together communities worked together and just got on with it such a good book and I suppose in terms of we've got our own little war but hopefully not bad war and when we're running a business you sort of think that we're just gonna we will get through it It will it will happen we will get through it we just got to do it together yeah absolutely again I just want to say thanks to all our guests and of course my co-host Matt for joining us today and I hope you've enjoyed yourself everybody around the panel so that's (laughs) thanks Phil Adam Zach Kate James, our wonderful sound man, Alan, and obviously my co host. This has been the Ethical Business Podcast, and I hope it's been an enjoyable, interesting listen. And if you'd like to listen to our previous co- podcasts and learn more about what we do in Marmion, please visit our website, wearemarmion.com, and we look forward to speaking to you again in the very near future.